Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this Deep Sales, and LinkedIn has built the first Deep Sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. Welcome to the Millionaire Mindcast, where we broadcast weekly interviews with millionaire minds from across the globe to empower you on your journey of unlocking a rich and fulfilling life. It's time to unleash your millionaire within. Now, here's your host, Matty A. What's going on, Millionaire Mindcast fam? Welcome into today's Wealth Building Wednesday. Good morning. morning, I got my hot coffee. Good morning. Good whatever. Y'all, <laughs> afternoon evening. It's uh, coming out of a great weekend, man. I, I had some, uh, some great quality time with the family. As many of you guys have been following along on my Friday Food for Thought episodes, you know, it's, this, this quarter has been a hustle. It's been a grind. Hasn't been one of my favorite quarters, but it's been a productive one for sure. Um, but this weekend was just great to spend time with the family, a little March Madness. The weather was just beautiful. Everything is green in California. Before it gets brown, because we we're in a drought, it was, it was nice, it's man. Day. It's raining all day today. I mean, the the only I wake up this morning, and the only you know I like to get my my Monday morning weekend news and updates and check all my favorite outlets. All I could see was Will Smith and all I saw was oh Big Willie came in hot. I saw it on TV. You saw it live? We saw, well, excuse me. I saw it. Replayed on my phone that was on TV. <laughs> it was unbelievable. I mean, at first everybody was like, "Is is this shit for real?" Like that was like real. that's so out of character for him. And you know, obviously, Chris Rock is a comedian. Like you know, they they go after people on stage, and it wasn't like he did. You know, he said the GI Jane comment, and I guess obviously Will took that extremely personal because. Jada Pinkett Smith came out recently that she's got alopecia and she's dealing with this disease and da 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 da. And so he took, well, he he was laughing at first if you look at the videos, and oh, then yeah. he looked over at his wife and saw she was pissed with the resting bitch face. And then that's when he literally got up, walked up on stage in the middle. I mean, Stephen A. Smith, I showed you the clip, yeah. um, who you know is a sports broadcaster, but dude, when he goes on his rants, like. Well, yeah, and and he's another, a very astute and well well respected African American yeah. man, and like he was like can understand. I I don't think anybody can is is saying that. Hey, could that have made you upset? One hundred percent. But like, I was even saying to my wife, I was like, "You go handle that off camera." Well, yeah, like, here. So, so if you're gonna do that if you're gonna do that, especially. I'll play the soundbite of Stephen A. Smith because he he spit some facts here that I think is important to note in terms of like just professionalism and how it reflects on you. And again, guys, I think this is a perfect example of having a stellar reputation and career, and how one little act can completely change the paradigm and perspective that people see you through. We'll uh, run Stephen A. Smith. Straight bullshit. 
props and congratulations to him for winning the Oscar because damn it, he deserved it. And I love the brother and I'm proud of him. But boy, was that a shameful act for him to get tonight. Nice. To go up on stage and slap Chris Rock like that, he's lucky he didn't get his ass kicked, particularly after the event was over. If not by Chris Rock, to the fellas he had there with him. I mean, damn. Denzel and Bradley Cooper and Tyler Perry having to calm you down. Your publicist having to run out and, and calm you down. I mean, damn. Come on, bro. Come on, man. There's no excuse for it, ladies and gentlemen. Don't even try to justify it, okay? Chris Rock said it years ago. Every time black folks doing something, you know who messes it up. I never dreamed of my wildest dreams. I've been saying that about Will Smith. A black man, Will Packer, did a phenomenal job producing the Oscars. And you do this to stain yourself, to stain the Academy Awards? Damn. Damn. Damn is right. Yeah, I just was, I don't, I just, I, I applaud the best effort in, you know, Standing up for your wife and everything. Sure, but go do that off camera. It wasn't like he was calling her a profane name no, or he no, was doing no. this or that and like straight disrespecting her. It was comedy. It was maybe a little bit, you know, close to home because of the issue that sure. she's been going through. But here's what I sure, you would say. Slap the shit out of everybody that was talking about how your wife was putting your shit out in the street. That's what I don't. Well, dude, yeah. she was the one, you know, if you go back and look at what she did the least, he, what she has aired out on her show, the yeah. Red Table Talk or whatever yeah. and talking about having an open relationship and cheating him on on him with this young cat and doing this and doing that you know the barstool sports guys they're you know comedy uh their page is just pure laughter all the time oh it's hilarious and one of the guys like immediately who does you know the one minute man talks jumped on there and he's like of all the things that people, you know, have said after she aired out all kinds of stuff, and she's been talking openly about this, for one, yeah. um, of all the things you want to walk up on stage on live TV and embarrass yourself and your family in the Academy and slap the shit out of Chris Rock for saying a G.I. Jane joke when she's been, again, airing out their dirty laundry yeah. for years now. Yeah. It's like, man, poor Will Smith has always been one of my favorite actors. But. Great actor. Dude, I can't take that away from him, but like I, I just, oh, it throws him, it throws him a couple notches down. I already was like, kind of like when that little personal item came up, and I try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt because I don't, I don't know what's going on in their life. Yeah, that's all. That's already a little bit weird. That would be coming out, you know. That's that's like not mm -hmm. something that needs to be talked about publicly. And then that is just that just goes to show that you know you don't have control. Oh, and there's a lot underlying that that was the straw that broke the camel's back no doubt but there's got to, that if that was the one thing that set you off yeah i don't know i think i'll give him the i'll, I'll practice that benefit of the doubt i think i'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say that was the one thing that set him off and there's been a bunch of other stuff and that was just the one thing i'm guessing happened. they don't have a good relationship no. and this was something that led a lot of a lot of facade going yeah on i'm sure well We've got a great show for watch you guys it, today. It. Yeah, right? We just had to, you know, get our little Hollywood drama in. And if you are new to the show, welcome, guys. We spend on Wednesdays the entire show talking about all things money. Money. This is about the financial markets, what's going on in the global economy, How can we what's going on in real estate, how does this all trickle down to the retail mm -hmm. investor, and how does this impact your wealth building journey as you move forward? You guys know we love, if you're a listener of the show, if you're a subscriber of the show, if you're somebody that has continued to help us stay in the top 100 to 200 wealth, financial, investment, and business podcasts on the planet out of hundreds of thousands of podcasts, one of the reasons why we are so fortunate to have the platform that we have is because of you guys, the amazing listeners. So each and every week, you. I want to share my love and gratitude for you guys. If you're new to the show, be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss another episode, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And all we ask is that you share this with a friend, a family member. Don't forget to tag us on social media. If you haven't taken advantage of your free financial x-ray yet or gotten on my accredited deals investor and syndication list, you can text the word x-ray to connect with Ryan and his team. Come you on. can text the word deals to connect with me and my team. That's 844-447-1555. Don't forget to leave a five-star review in whatever podcasting platform you enjoy listening to this content on. Ooh, Ooh I had to take a breath. Ooh. And that and works at the uh, minor league baseball fields in the weekends to practice just for Monday. My <laughs> announcer voice. 
So with that being said, you know, there's a lot going on with really the, it feels like no more COVID. Now all we talk about is there's Ukraine like, and Russia. Every once in a while, you'll see a White House representative come down and test positive with COVID and they'll say, thank goodness I have mild, you know, uh, symptoms because I'm quadruple vaxxed and I wear my mask everywhere. So they still do a little bit of their pandering to make sure the narrative has some yep. continuity. Yep. But at the end of the day, uh, it's all about Ukraine. It's all about Russia right now. Yep. And, you know, we're starting to see, you know, POW videos coming out of, uh, you know, Ukrainian soldiers torturing and doing all kinds of stuff to Russian video, you know, uh, Russian um, soldiers. We're seeing, you know, more and more information come out about weird stuff that makes sense why America's getting their nose into this war. It's one narrative is women and children and democracy. Um, then there's, you know, more behind that that is coming out about biolabs that were being funded by the, you know, uh, American government. Yep. All of a sudden, which was funny, right? This last week, um, I saw somebody post, New York Times posted about all of the people who basically um, looked the other way when it came to Hunter Biden's laptop. But then they posted saying like, basically these people turned the other way and it was like somebody basically came out and was like if they're if New York Times is posting this something's about to come out and lo and behold two days later all of a sudden very quiet whispers in the media which was not talked about a lot was Hunter Biden's laptop yeah. and all of the freaking dirt that they're finding on it and the money trails and where it's going and what it's being used for. And the media does not want to talk about any of this. He got on camera himself and said he was like on his hands and knees digging through the carpet. And he said, I think, and I'll try to quote him. He was looking for that parmy parm. Yeah. He said, I've smoked more Parmesan cheese than anyone because, because I think he literally said that he was digging through the, the floor for crack rocks. I mean, like how, how is it? I mean, again, I try to keep it pretty level-headed when I when I go about. Hey, if stuff. Tommy's got a drug habit, but he, you know, he's he's he got kicked out of the military for drugs. Well, and to just again, when we're talking about the magnitude of like, you know, privacy protection at the level of you know uh, importance and weight we're talking about with some of these things getting exposed and there be yeah. no accountability whatsoever. All yeah. I know is if it was you know Donald Trump Jr. We you talked know, about this last year. Like, remember, remember they would going be going nuts. I remember we said this exact same thing back when Trump was president. We were going over this like in 2020. You know, remember, you know, if Trump would have said if, 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 yeah. And it is, it is that, and it's so funny. It's the but there, you know, the silent protesting. But if you go ask somebody that voted for Biden, they will. They'll just probably point out that they he just promoted what is that Kanji Harris or whatever, and they're talking about that and. Well, Talking about how he, is Biden, he doesn't tweet and he's, you know, this and that. Hey. And and what what he is doing is getting America into a war that we don't we shouldn't be sending our troops and our, you know, the sons and daughters of our country over to that country. We shouldn't be sending, you know, our tax dollars. I mean, you go and look at some of the cities in our, you know, country. They Some of these like, blue cities, they, they look, look worse than Ukraine. They look like Mariupol. Like it is unbelievable how they spin this narrative and want to send billions upon billions upon billions of hard-earned tax dollars, your tax dollars, hard-working hard American tax dollars over there. Well, I've already sent billions. And it seems like there's going to continue to be more and more and more. It's like every week they approve. I approved 800 million. I approved 1 billion. Well, he wants to get, this, you know, a billion that. dollars to, you know. In humanitarian. Their, their citizens. And yeah. it's like, dude, let's, let's fix the problems, you know, on our home front. Like, let's, let's take a, a stance against what's going on and let's do what we need to do. But to insert ourselves into this war when we got... A whole shitload of issues here yeah, in the U.S. Could, right now that we got to get ten fixed. U.S. cities and throw a hundred million dollars at all ten of them each year, and it would be a lot more return on investment than throwing a billion dollars at Ukraine. Unbelievable! And I mean, some of the stuff that he's saying is is getting a little aggressive. That concerns me in terms of one how he's making us look on the global stage, but also what kind of position he's putting us into in terms of potential exposure for areas that. 
we shouldn't be meddling in. And one of those, right, is coming out and... Oh, yeah, saying that there needs to be the removal of a... Any, any time, even if it's, um, you know, like North Korea, right? Like, you, you're not supposed to say it in such blunt terms. You know, you, you indirectly say it or you say that it would be good if somebody would be there if that would respect people. But you do it in like a, a tactful way. You don't just say to remove somebody. Right. The problem with doing that is you inflame or cause somebody to make a knee-jerk reaction when it wasn't maybe necessary or wouldn't have happened. Luckily, I think I read a report that the Kremlin kind of took that and kind of, well, we don't really care, but you know, that wasn't cool, but we really don't care. Yeah. I mean, either way, it's something that, again, I think is just foreshadowing how disconnected he is in terms with understanding what he's actually doing, what well, he's look, actually saying. Kamala Harris, I mean, they're... It's like the left and the right hand don't talk. They're it's bad. I mean... There are, there are, he, are, it's just, what is it called? International... Um, just the way that we're international affairs. Not yeah, essentially that that realm. It's been pretty poor. Kamala Harris, like literally. Oh yeah, she spoke, was, She looked terrible. They, they were cackling, and people are like literally like now it's looking not at her like left. And it's not Biden's lack of information now. Now it's him just talking too much, which is rare. But that him talking too much now and saying too much. So it's just like you said, the right hand not talking to the left. It's, you know, the right hand goes to grab and the left hand goes to clap. It doesn't make any sense. Well, his approval rating as of this weekend yeah, is the lowest of his presidency. That was an ABC poll, I believe. Just so everybody knows, that was an ABC poll. I, I think I saw them at 40% approval rating. And I would say ABC is a fairly liberal media outlet. So as we continue to see what's going on with the war... Right, we're we're here at home in the U.S. seeing the trickle effects of the decisions, the policy, the narrative going into real estate, going into the financial markets, going into the overall, you know, kind of ideology of how healthy or unhealthy our economy is. We're seeing now him talking about food shortages, and it's all Russia's fault. We're seeing, you know, the Putin pump, you know, uh, price pump, yeah. right? And it's all because of Russia and the war. So what can we expect in the short term in terms of, are, are we really talking about food shortages? Are we really talking about, you know, runaway inflation on gas and consumer goods? And where is this narrative at? Or is there just some fear mongering that is being pumped in the mainstream media and by this administration to justify continuing down this path with Russia and Ukraine? I think that it's a, you know, a more sexy headline to say recession or hyperinflation or runaway inflation. Um, and that's, you know, that's what the, that's what you'll see in the headlines from non-experts, um, just regurgitating what they heard from potential other experts or non-experts. In my opinion, um, I, I, we see, like I've kind of been saying, I think I said mid-March, we thought that stuff was going to start kind of, kind of piling open. And here we go, mid-March, things kind of opened back up. The market started to rebound. We've held that rebound for two weeks. It's a little choppy today. Uh, two of the three indices were up last I checked. Um, we have a big week with economic reports, but last week, the S&P regained its 200-day moving average, which is an important technical point. And this is why I always go and take my opinion out of stuff and just go back a lot of the times to technicals because we have technicals for a reason. They're not perfect either, but they give us a, a light at the end of the tunnel when, we, when we're in a dark place, when there's a lot of noise going around. It can just be a, a, an area that has no opinion to it. It's just mm -hmm. fact. When we hold above that 200-day moving average after a dip like that, it, it's indicative that the market's taking some sort of turnaround or is at least trying to, and that's positive. So I believe this week I will be, or we will be layering on more risk assets for our more tactical uh, models for our clients as far as people that are having us manage their money for more drawdown risk. Drawdown is the fancy word for the amount of uh, risk that you're taking on a, on a downward uh, scale. And we had layered off risk assets at the end of January. And give, gone, give us an example of what you guys classify as risk assets. Mo mostly equities and equities in areas such as technology, 
consumer cyclical. Cyclical items are items that are not necessarily needed, but are like automobiles um, and excess of them. Items at the store like electronics. Those are, you know, people that make those would be cyclical producers. Um, financials got beat up a little bit, but they're doing really well. But those are some areas that we layered off and went a little bit more underweight. Uh, and then some, some of the areas that are less risky in the equity sector that we layered on was energy and industrials and consumer defensive. And consumer defensive is going to be like grocery stores, gas, you know, the necessities. They're plain Jane. They're not really sexy. That's more like value-focused stocks. And here again, I've been. I, if you guys remember me saying last year that I thought value was going to be the big play and then value was going to probably go into this year being a good play. That ended up being more right than I could have expected because almost all the gains in tech, because my portfolio is mainly in tech, um, are gone. Uh, they're they're way given up. We've rebounded well, mm-hmm. but they're way down. Yeah, twenty plus percent. Some of these companies that are hyper growth. Some of those stocks that I owned are down almost fifty percent. Um, so it's going to be a while for those to recover. The um, thing that we're seeing moving forward is just indicators that it may be a good time to layer back on risk. And the reason that it may be a good time to layer back on risk, which is more tech, more exposure to your regular growth stocks, um, maybe taking a toe out of value and going in the middle to blend towards growth. It's just because of the technical indicators tell us it's time to do so. And then we have non-technical indicators like Russia saying that they're going to potentially, you know, settle with the Donabas area. That's all they really wanted. Vladimir Putin said that. Uh, you have Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky saying, hey, we're willing to be neutral as long as Russia pulls out. We can, we can agree to neutrality. We can obviously defend ourselves so we can agree to neutrality. NATO is less important than that. Who cares if that's true or not? That's, it just needs to, somebody needs to be just think it's true. Yep. Um, so all of those reasons and then the reasons that I indicated before are good reasons to stay in the market. Now, what is looming in the front and kind of are real things we need to keep an eye on? The yield curve is still, as I mentioned last week, out of whack. It's spiking in places that it should not be spiking. Um, I believe today, if you bought a five-year treasury uh, bond, it would yield you slightly more than a 10-year treasury bond. And that's, that's, not, that's not supposed to be. Right. <laughs> Longer debt. There should be a different incentive from one to the next, right? Correct. So spiking in the yield curve is is, is a worry. Uh, nothing that's out of control. How does that get curbed? Interest rate hikes. Okay. Yeah, interest rate hikes. So it, it hikes up the yield on longer debt. Um, and, and it's it's because the it, it hurts the prices on longer debt because the yield goes up more, but yield goes up much higher on longer debt than, with interest rate hikes than it does on shorter term debt. Right. Um, the reason that people go into shorter term debt is because interest rates are rising and they have less duration. And when there's less duration on your fixed income, you have less interest rate risk. 101 bond investing. Yeah. So um, that's, that's why I was saying, you know, a couple of weeks ago, paper assets, garbage. Trash. Yeah. Garbage in a rising interest rate environment. Sometimes they have to be held. But if they don't have to be held, we, we, we try to get rid and of And give them. an example for those. I uh, actually had a couple people text message in and say, can you t- talk to us about like what what would you consider paper assets? So I know that I'm not in any of those Bonds. Things. Bonds and cash equivalents. Um, not stocks. Because stocks are like an equity equivalent. So mm-hmm. I guess you can say those are a cash equivalent. But I'm talking like paper cash equivalent. So notes that are not cash flowing, non-performing notes. Um, but bonds of any sort, um, municipal bonds, which are historically a safe place to keep investors' money. I mean, they're down on average five to six percent this year. Mm-hmm. Safe. Those and the yield on those bonds is maybe two and a half, three percent on the high end. Eh, maybe in California, New York, four percent in some municipalities. But there's no way you're getting a positive break in on on muni bonds this year. So. It's extremely hard to be an investor right now. But anytime you have paper assets, which is when you issue, when you lend your money out to somebody in exchange for a coupon rate or a payment structure, 
and you are not holding that money anymore to invest in something. You gave your money to them to invest in something. Yeah. That's a paper asset. Um, another way like you could do that outside of securities is you could go be a lender to somebody Privately. and not charge them enough interest. Yeah. I think that's probably the only way you could really fuck that up, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, probably right now you want to be charging high interest and some points. I, I think the points are going to say, hey, at least if you fuck up with my money, I'm getting something out of it. Um, the interest rate on the money needs to be high because it's hard, harder and harder and harder to get money. Yep. Um, this goes back again to why we were talking about two weeks ago, I believe, why it's so important to be diversified in your investments, having your insurance, having your portfolio, having your real estate, because at some point, one of them is going to be a, a not a great time to be in something. It's, you want to get in real estate, but it's super expensive to get money. Well, not if it's, you know, on your and I's policies, it's capped at 6%. Yep. We know maximum, if we ran a pro forma, you could just run it at 6% loan cost and know that that's your worst case scenario. Well, and this is where I think people really, they hear it, but it doesn't hit to the point that they actually move on it in terms of like really putting themselves in a position to be able to execute on that strategy, right? Yeah. Because... It sounds good and sounds good and sounds good, but when it's not a true pain point or necessity for you, you'll never act on it. And when you do need to act on it, you're not in a position to actually do it at the level that it really makes a difference or a dent based on where the market economy is at and what levers are preventing you from doing what you want to do at the highest level that you want to do it. And so that's why we talk about, right? Like these things in terms of, If you're playing the long-term game, start yesterday. Start doing some of these things to where they may feel completely insignificant to you right now in this moment. But the next time it really does matter and you have the ability to then go, okay, interest rates and money is crazy expensive over here. Oh, well, I've been funding my universal life insurance policy for the last decade and I can pull on this thing now and I actually can leverage it in the way that it was intended for, right? And you can still do that along the way, but I'm just saying, same thing, right? When real estate is, you know, in the shitter and I want to go and buy a bunch of it, right? Well, there's probably not going to be a lot of quality terms and equity flying around because they're concerned about that being a risky asset class or the landscape in it is maybe not as ideal as it should be. But if I have these other things that have been positioned, like we talked about, right? The moat around your wealth. Yep. Having that holistic approach to those things, it's extremely important and it really does matter, guys. And so one of my mentors, you know, he's in the north of, let's say, $300 million net worth in his early 50s. And one of the things that he's always said to me, I'm like, man, you know, like, at least for me, you, we look at a lot of these people that you kind of idolize, right? Or you put up on a pedestal a little bit because you're like their success or their wealth that they've built. And he goes, yeah, well, that was 20 or 30 years of me just doing a bunch of little things consistently until all of a sudden the person outside looking in goes, man, that's one big thing you got there. But they don't realize every little data point that was put up on the board day in and day out and day in and day out and day in and day out. It's like people, um, you know, if we talk about uh, like my neck of the woods, like insurance or investments, hey, anything that's an investment, any policy or anything, even if you make a large deposit, you're going to need to continue to make deposits because you got to let compounding interest work in your favor. And then in your world, oh, I want to get into real estate, but I don't want to take the time to learn how it works and educate myself. I just want to get, I just want to throw money at something and then have money come back. And I, I can't tell you how many people, like people ask me, oh, hey, you know, I got $100,000. Can you go find me some real estate? And I'm like, I can. I can. Like, I can, but like, what kind of do you want? And like, you know, some people are like, well, you know, I want to be in a syndication. Okay, well, are you? A Which most people don't even know what that is yeah. or how those work. Yeah. So I say, well, are, about are it. you accredited? Yeah. Okay. Well, there's box one. Yeah, they're accredited. Can you afford to have that money locked up for 10 years? Oh, no, 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 no. I need to be able to get my money back out. Okay. Well, aren't we talking about real estate though here? So what do you, even if we do an SFR, 
what are you going to do when you want your money? You're going to sacrifice 11% of it so you can get the transaction costs. It's going to take you 60 days to close. You're going to have a big tax bill. Maybe you had other taxes that now that you're, you paid 15% on long-term capital gains. Now you're capping out and you owe 5% more and stuff. You just have to, people don't understand how, how like sharpened our axes to how many variables we think about and how quickly we think about them before we do things. Because people just think that me and you have money. We find good deals because we magically can pull them out of a hat. And I mean like you for real estate, me for investments. And then we just, we just throw money at it and we're just, we're magic. We're yeah. magic. Your hat has a bunny in it. My hat has a bunny in it. We have crystal balls. We rub them. No, it's it's come just out. a lot of grinding it's and literally work obsession. Hard. Yeah. It's, it's not as easy as it looks. Well, and I think one of the things that I try and tell the people is whether you think you're an expert or not, whether you want to be an expert or not, if you want to be wealthy... Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. My, This is just my opinion. There is a certain level of discipline and commitment that you personally and you only can commit to in terms of understanding the rules of money, the conversation of wealth, and what that actually entails. Yeah. You don't need to, you know, be an expert that is going to be given a talk on CNBC, you know, for a segment about what's going on in the financial markets or getting pulled up on some real estate investing conference because you're an expert to be wealthy. Yep. But you do need to know enough to ensure that at least what game you're playing, you're not getting taken advantage of. You're understanding that every little step that you make, as big or as small as it might feel to you, is moving in the right direction mm -hmm. that you can take and hedge on your risk and downside for anything that's going on. Like nobody's going to care about your money more than you are. Yep. And there are a lot of people who like to make money that will take advantage of you to make more money and screw you in the process. And that's why we like to have these kind of conversations on Wednesdays because I think it is so important for, I mean, like, having this talk the other day with um, the teacher of Ellis School. Yeah. And like some of the stuff that we were talking about, her dad was a financial advisor and she was saying, you know, like I have advocated for us to be able to go and teach kids, you know, some of these things about money and they will not allow it. And it's like, when I go and look back at my timeline of how I learned about money, it was not in, you know, in between the lines of being in school. It was in between the lines of being in real life and getting around people that were either entrepreneurs or business owners or investors. And the access to those kind of conversations for the average person are non-existent. Yeah. They don't know where to find that kind of stuff, which is why we do this show. Yep. The other side of it is, is the sad part is they want the outcome 
but they won't put in the work to actually pick up a damn book and start reading, go on a blog and start learning, listen to a podcast, like just doing the little things like this is something that you have to work at too. It's not an instant gratification. It's not, you know? And so I just think it's so important for people to just lean in and engage and be okay with the fact that you don't know shit about this. I didn't know shit about universal life insurance before I met you. And then all of a sudden through multiple conversations and going, okay, I still don't really know a ton about it, but I think I get it. I'm going to throw some money at it. And then just getting involved in it is how I learn more and more and more. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's slowing down for me. I understand this a little bit more. Okay. You've mentioned that piece a couple of times, like that starts to get a little bit clearer to me. And now all of a sudden I wouldn't even consider myself close to an expert, but I know how to leverage the vehicle and how it ties into my wealth building plan. Yep. And the other thing is it's like, you know, when we did that, we didn't set up best, best that we could expect expectations. To be honest, we're doing, I think 150% better than we thought if we got got (laughs) six and we're getting nine, Yep. you know, and there's, you know, I had some people reach out to me and send me some, like, there's a lot of videos on the internet. And one of the ones was some some gentleman saying that, you know, you can't you cannot do banking with you know with universal life. You can only do it with whole life because of the guarantees. I promise you that's not true. I don't know how to tell you more than if I could have a line of people sit up here, like my one, you know, we have a mutual uh uh person we know their dad taking a loan out, mm, making mm-hmm. almost 14% on his. Yep. It, it's, um, it does work. It, you know, what I, would, what I would say is anybody who wants to put up a video talking about how something doesn't work and has no explanation on how theirs works just says that that one doesn't work and mine does. Proceed with caution. Yeah, I can, here's what I will tell you. But that's- Nobody will sit down with me in the insurance world and tell me that what I'm saying is not true face-to-face because they know that they'll get shredded. I sit here and I speak from straight, hey, I'll tell you all the negatives. I told Matt all the negatives on his. Yeah. I will tell you the negatives on both. But you have to know that you can't have just one thing and one thing is gonna be your be-all, end-all. You can't just have an insurance policy and then you're rich. You can't just have one investment property and then you're you're a real estate investor. You can't just have a small investment account and say you're you're a stock person. You have to do all of them, you have to feed all of them, and then eventually when you feed those areas and you let them work for you, you can start leveraging against them, like against your insurance yeah. to get more real estate, using the cash flow from real estate to fund your stock account, taking the excess cash from your stock account and using it to put it in your insurance policy. Now you have this symbiotic relationship between all your investments and all of them are working in order to make you wealthier. That is the be all end all goal with wealth building. And again, to your point, there's a lot of bad information. There's a lot of people doing it that are not out for your best interest. They're out to make themselves money and hopefully make you a little bit along the way. And um, the the people that do do a good job like you, like me, like others, get drowned out because we don't over saturate ourselves because we're busy doing our own things sometimes, yeah. you know? Yeah. So you guys really should, you know, opportunity deals, 844-447-1555. If you're an accredited investor and you don't take advantage of at least getting a deal stack that can be sent to you every month or two and have an opportunity to look at that kind of stuff, which is also very hard. You can send a text message and get a nice audited deal stack sent to you, which is hard to get, guys. Sometimes you have to be on a a list where they're going to vet you. They're going to ask you for maybe a $99 a month fee because they're paying a company. I was going to say, sometimes they don't vet you. If you can fog a mirror and you can pay them money, they don't care. They'll take your money and they won't steward it in the right way. But take advantage of that. And then on my side, my team, then sending word x-ray to 844-447-1555. If you have an investment portfolio and you haven't sent that, Ask yourself why, because you're listening to this. If you have an insurance policy and it's with uh, another company and you haven't taken a look at it to see if there's a 1035 exchange opportunity, ask yourself why, because you're listening to this podcast. There's an opportunity for you to make sure that what you're doing is in your best interest from two guys that just want to help and make sure everything you're doing is in your best interest. Take advantage of it. Cross the T's, dot the I's, and be open to the fact that 
there's new opportunities out there or that what once was may not be what is going to get you to the next level of wealth and what you're looking for. But at the end of the day, guys, it, it really doesn't matter to us in terms of what your decision is. We just want to give you as many options for you to feel like you're confident that you're making the best decision for you, your family, your future wealth, what you want to use your money for, how you want it to be utilized in a way that makes a difference and makes really your journey, at least from, you know, as far as I know, you know, we get anywhere from 70 to 100 years on this badass planet and I yeah. want my shit to be as epic as I possibly can make it. And I know the one of the, you know, the variables in that is money. And so, you know, having a, a positive, you know, money mindset and and a positive you know, money plan and and being around positive money people that are not just greedy, but are looking to make a difference with their money and make more of it as well. You know, collectively, when you start getting aligned with people like that, the compound effect in terms of what opportunities, you know, and what your money ends up doing and looking like, uh, it gets pretty fun, especially when you're making money with people that are doing really cool stuff with it. Because then you get to go and participate in those things and you get to offer the same you know, opportunity for others as well. So as we you know, kind of turn the corner here in terms of what's going on in the financial markets, we've been hearing recession, recession, recession. What, what, is, what is that narrative and really where are we at with that? You know, it's um, there's always a chance for a recession at any time. Sure. It's just the indicators that say that are a little higher in the near term uh, than they normally are, and that's mainly due to inflation. Um, and like I was saying, the yield curve kind of being out of whack. So I am I am not seeing right now today um, any indicators that we're going into a recession for sure. Because we would definitely not be considering uh, layering risk. Some of the stuff you guys are looking at. Yeah, exactly. Um, With that being said, I do still think that May is going to be kind of a a fork in the road for us. And we're going to need to make it through May and the next rate hike and see how that happens. Because we made it through one. Now we go through two. So now we figure that one's not a big deal and then two is not a big deal. So three probably shouldn't be a big deal. And now each rate hike becomes less and less and less scary and more and more and more. Okay, let's prepare for this. Let's go into, let's go to real assets. Let's go ahead and make sure we leverage our money. Um, the thing that I do see happening faster than we anticipated was um, the slowdown in the mortgage uh, index, meaning how many people are applying for mortgages which means that less people are going to be buying investments. Um, or excuse me, all investments are, are, are just state, personal, whatever. Yeah, personal residence. And that's happening a little bit faster than we expected. We had almost a 10% decrease uh, month over month, and we're expecting another 8% drop at least in this report this week. The mortgage index, I believe, comes out tomorrow or Wednesday. Um, so that's happening a lot faster than we thought. That, that will is a lagging indicator, but will eventually catch up to the real estate prices. Absolutely. Um, so we'll talk about that in a second. And the only thing I think that's going to help that is we're moving into warmer weather. So you're going to get a lot more traffic and that's going to buffer that out for a bit. But I think what you're going to see is you're going to see inventory catching up. You're going to see prices are going to start, continue to go up, but they're going to start slowing and the, the curve is going to be more horizontal than vertical as far as on the appreciation and you're going to have a lot more people that are going to be competitive with their offers and a lot more sellers are going to have to be competitive with their rebuttals. And that is going to start getting back in line, I believe, with where we were with real estate. Don't forget, we're a quarter of a way through the year. So we don't have much more runway, in my opinion, for where we have been. And we have a lot. We're getting closer and closer each day to going back to normalcy and way, with way more expensive money. So be prepared for real estate prices to stabilize. Let me be very clear when I say that. Stabilize. No crash. crash. No crash? No. No crash. So just stabilize. Well, dude, you just did my segment for me. I don't even need to talk today because you're, you're spot on with that. I mean, before we dig into a little bit of what's going on with real estate, um, or at least what we think you know, is trending in what direction, um, we've got a lot of big reports coming out this week, right? So we've yep. got job openings, we got consumer confidence, we got mortgage applications, um, unemployment change, unemployment rate, and then non-farm payroll. 
Yep, and non-farm payrolls is exactly what it sounds like. And so all of these are ultimately going to give us at least a little bit more of a granular snapshot in, in the micro, in the short term of where we're at and what direction some of these things are trending in, correct? Correct. Um, the things that we're kind of looking... Which one would you yeah, highlight or put an asterisk next to as maybe most indicating as to trend direction? Um, we want to see a, a spike or a leveling in consumer confidence. That's important. Non-farm payrolls are really important. Um, people are making money, they can spend it. Um, unemployment uh, level continuing to trend down is important. That means people are getting back to work, which means more tax revenue, which is good, especially in an inflationary session, uh, section of the uh, market like we're in. And those are my main thing. I think the other thing, like I was saying, as an indicator is that mortgage index, yeah. I think is going to be down. I'm expecting at least 8%. I don't remember what the street estimate is, but I think we said somewhere around 8 to 9%. Is That's what a lot. We're expecting, yeah, again, again, after already about I mean, a if you think about a 10% drop in, in traffic of people looking at your inventory, you know, if that was a million people, you'd be down to nine hundred. Yep. If there's a nine or eight percent on that, you'd be down to like the high sevens. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, high low eights. Yep. So that's a lot less people, and when there's less people and there's slowly more inventory, yep, it's going to make it more competitive on the sell side, not the buy side. And that's where we have a disparagement right now, as the sell side is still really strong. Well, according to Altos Research report this week, inventory is up 2.4% in the last week. There you go. So this is one of the first kind of pendulum swings we've seen in inventory, at least at this rate, not plateauing, but actually swinging back in the other direction. Money being We are, of course, right, seeing some of the trickle effects, in my opinion, the dominoes of interest rate hikes, and those going up, which we're going to continue to see, at least from what they're talking about, another one coming in May. Yep. Um, we are seeing prices start to cool down a little bit. We're seeing rent and goods continuing to climb still with inflation. So, right, that is not necessarily a good thing for one, renters, and two, landlords. And I think that, you know, flippers, if you're a flipper out there right now, be very cautious that, you know, I'm not saying the pendulum is completely swung back in the other direction, but there may be certain fringe and tertiary markets that don't see as much insulation to these variables. And therefore, you may see prices start to drop in certain areas. And if you're a flipper, right, you want to make sure that if you're in one of those areas that you're baking and underwriting that analysis into when you buy, right? So something important to keep an eye on that if you're a long-term investor and holder, you know, some of these things are definitely going to hurt your rental cash flow um, and, you know, mortgage payments are going to be going up a little bit depending on how much cash you're bringing to the table with, you know, the uh, rates rising. So that's going to hurt, you know, short-term cash flow and returns. But again, if you're playing long, right, and it hits your investment and buy box metrics, don't get scared. Just get locked into, if you can, right? Most importantly, fixed long-term debt. There are a lot of variable products out there right now that banks are you know, more than happy to you know, lock you in on the first five years, but then it resets in five. And this is how a lot of people got caught Back in, mm-hmm, they had you know five year fixed vari- or, uh, variable Poppers. mortgages, and then all of a sudden, right when the rates weren't uh, in a good spot and the equity wasn't in a good spot, now you're out of bullets. You yeah. don't have the ability to go. Oh, let me refi this, or hey, let me pull equity out. To, oh, no, I don't have that either. You just landing on the other side of that too. The stock market went down, so the banks don't have any time to say, "Hey, we'll put you in forbearance for ninety days and let you figure it out." Because yep. they're not making. They're losing money on both sides. Yep. So I think again, it'll be something that you know. Pay attention to some of the variables that we talk about. Mortgage apps is one of them, right? Days on market months of standing inventory, price per square foot of houses going up or down, right? And 
thinking about the absorption rate and how quickly properties are being absorbed into the market from the buyer demand, I think we're going to start to see a lot of this stuff start to calm down a little bit. And I've been talking about this for almost two years now, right? Of going like, I know at some point the dust is going to settle, but right, all the printing and helicopter money, all the forbearance plans, all the eviction moratoriums, all of these things that are now kind of getting to the end of their rope or they're lessening or they're completely done and not a factor anymore. Now we're going to see the rules of the game start to get rewritten a little bit and how the board game has shifted and who is still on the board game and who's coming onto the board game and what opportunities might therein lie for you as a real estate investor. So again, these are the times to be very, very intelligent in terms of doing the proper analysis, getting a second and a third opinion from somebody else that might be able to poke holes in your analysis or in your ideology around what you're investing in. Mm -hmm. So keep those things in mind. One of the things though that I think is concerning, and I just want to get your take on it as we kind of wrap up, is you know whether it's in real estate, whether it's in you know the financial markets, whether it's the global economy as a whole, we're seeing this very, very rapid and increasingly large gap between the wealthy and the poor. I know that I still care about all human beings and I don't like seeing people living in squalor and, you know, struggling to, to make ends meet. But at the end of the day, it's also a dog-eat-dog world. And selfishly, I'm going to look out for myself. I'm going to look out for my, my children and my wife. Mm-hmm. And then, right, I'm going to go down the, the ladder and go, okay, my employees and my community, I can't save the world. But at the end of the day, right, there's some concerning things that are happening that could lead to a much larger impact and problem for individuals. And how do people really navigate this increasing wealth gap? I think uh, one of the things that is also is contributing to that wealth gap is probably the fact that so many people have tried the quick way and failed. And those kind of like wealth traps are sometimes like not recoverable. Like you put your life savings into something and then you're indebted. Uh, you get into a bad loan on a car or something and you're underneath on an asset like that. Like, I think that that is a lot of the stuff that's happening. Yeah. Bad choices. Well, look at how much people were buying motorhomes and houses and trips and vehicles over the last year or two years. I'm going like, how the hell are people affording to buy all this shit? Stimulus. And then when people make the mistakes, instead of dealing with them and taking responsibility, they blame and they blame other things in other areas and they get into this perpetual cycle of continually making bad choices because they didn't take responsibility for the bad choices and then blaming others for other things or outside forces for those bad choices and rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat. And that doesn't do anything to add to your bottom line. And long-term just obviously makes you less and less and less likely to recover. Yep. And, and, and that's, in my opinion, what's been going on for the past couple of years. You couple that with a, a lockdown nationwide that happened over the past two years that we're just starting to come out of. Businesses that were barely making it. How many people got wealth stolen from them right underneath their nose? Oh, millions. Without even pushing back. Yeah, without even asking questions. And those people, a lot of the people, uh, without knowing it, thinking, thinking they were doing the right thing, voted for it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, the old saying goes, if you make your bed, you got to lie in it. And um, that's what happens when you make a bad choice in anything, political, what have you. Um, if you voted for, I don't think anybody that listens to this podcast or not a lot of people that do. Um, but if you voted for the current administration that's in and you, you know, are not willing to say, hey, I can, I can understand somebody's just kind of a jackass and says some mean tweets every once in a while, but policy is good and you hire smart people. Um, if you can't see past that, I mean, you are the issue with America. You're, you're so soft and so caught up in being politically correct that you forgot how to be morally 
correct and have a moral compass. Yeah, I had a conversation with somebody the other day and I was like, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, I've, I've said this from day one, Donald Trump has never been one of my favorite people that I'm like, great leader, you know, he really is inclusive and like all of the stuff that people have issues with. But yeah. when, I, when you look at all of the policy, you look at what he did for America, you looked at where we were at as a country, you know, yeah, there was some divisiveness, but it's no different than what's going on with Biden right now. I mean, it's it's probably 100%. worse, if anything. No, there's just no people, there's nobody marching. But if you don't, like if you look at all the greatest leaders of all time, and I mean, you can go back into the history books, right? I mean, Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, you can go back to any and all that you think, you know, was a great leader. They were either loved or they were hated. They weren't really necessarily tolerated. They were either loved or hated by the majority. But those people stood for something and they took action based on what they stood for. And they didn't, right, toe the line and dim the light or turn down the volume on their core values, on their beliefs, on their narratives of what they thought was right or what they were fighting for yeah. to make the other group feel less heard or better about the position or stance that they were in. Yep. They went after what they believed in and that's what made those individuals great. It's also what made them polarizing, but that's ultimately right where I see this danger of a world that we're currently in is the mainstream media and the narrative they want to make you feel like you're a horrible human being and they want to play to that particular chord, which so many people have of like, I am a good person, right? I feel like I'm a good person. I want to do the right thing. But if I don't agree with how this person's living their life or I don't agree with this policy or I don't agree with this or that, doesn't mean I don't respect them, right? It just means that I don't want that for my life and for everybody else. But if they want to do certain things or if this policy were to play out a certain way, like that's okay for people to have that stance, but they're really honing in on that softness in so many people. And I think that could lead long-term to some dangerous impacts. But here's what I do know. I can't control what goes on in Russia and Ukraine right now. Ditto. I can't control what Biden or Kamala Harris say. I can't control Same. what the financial market does. I can't control what the real estate market does. I can control my daily actions. I can adjust and tweak my plan accordingly to what those markets or places are giving me. And ultimately, now is a time to be sharpening your ax and building the best discipline you possibly can around, we know that we're in a shifting climate right now and we're also in a volatile climate on many fronts. So right now is the time to be extra disciplined and sharp and discerning and questioning and aligning with the right people to make sure that you're still moving the needle forward. Maybe it's not as far of a needle move as it was in 2020 or 2021. Mm -hmm. And like many people saw in the financial markets, but it doesn't mean that you can't still keep moving it little tiny pieces in the meantime and take what the market is giving you. Okay. Same thing with the real estate, protecting on your downside, right? And doing some of the things that the market is giving you knowing what's out there. So if you're somebody that is continuing to look to build wealth right now, especially in let's say the climate that we see and feel at the moment, build those disciplines, stick to those plans, surround yourself with the right people. I don't agree with, you know, a lot of what Dave Ramsey says, um, almost all of it, but here's what I will say. He comes out with some interesting stats and some information around things. And I thought this was interesting. I saw him post this the other day. One third of millionaires never made six figures in any single year of their career. One third, that is a lot of people one third of millionaires never made over $100,000 in their entire career. How the hell did they become a millionaire? Investing. They were smart in terms of what they decided as a saver to also invest intelligently over time into certain things and they played the game of wealth smart. And they, yep, and they stuck with it. They took losses, they took big wins and long-term they, they exactly. that's what you have so to do. So what you actually do with the money you make matters more than the amount of money you actually make. I know a ton of people making a lot of money who literally live paycheck to paycheck or they're actually in the red every single month. Me too. So you don't need to have gobs of money to be a millionaire. Play the crock pot game, mm -hmm. not the microwave. 100%. Be disciplined, 
text x-ray, text deals, say what up to us if you just want to say hello, 844-447-1555. With that being said, if you guys have any questions, concerns, topics, people that you want us to interview, hit us up, 844-447-1555. With that being said, we'll see you guys in next week's episode. Cheers. Cheers. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of Wealth Building Wednesday. Be sure to tune in next week for more news and updates. If you got some value from today's show, all we ask is that you either leave a review on whatever podcasting platform you enjoy listening to this content on or share this with somebody that you know can gain some insight, some value from it. One of the things that you guys know about Ryan and I is, you know, we definitely won't say we have all the answers and we definitely won't say we know it all. We just want to bring conversation to the areas, the topics that we believe are really important to bring attention and awareness to, to help you sharpen your ax, put more tools on your tool belt, weaponize you to make the best decisions that align not only with your financial goals, right, but your lifestyle goals. So if you guys want to take advantage of Ryan's free financial x-ray on your investment portfolio, all you have to do is text the word x-ray to 844-447-1555. Most people have no idea what they're being charged from a fee perspective or really in most cases overcharged and whether or not their current investment plan is actually aligned with what they're trying to accomplish and by when. And this is something Ryan does for all of our listeners for free. So be sure to take them up on that x-ray, one word, 844-447-1555. Also, if you are someone who is serious about building your wealth and you're already kind of established, but you want to surround yourself with other like-minded, high net worth individuals, be sure to text WEALTHCAMP, one word, to 844-447-1555 to learn more about our intimate five-star experiences with other like-minded business owners and investors to cross-pollinate, to hear what they're doing, and to have a whole, a whole hell of a lot of fun while we're doing it. And last, if you want to know more about consulting or getting mentorship directly from me or from Ryan, you can learn more by texting the word MENTOR to 844-447-1555. With that being said, that's all for this week. Until next Keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March to a million and beyond. Cheers, my friends.